0: Welcome to Grid Talk, a series of conversations with the leaders and innovators shaping the 21st century grid. Hosting the podcast is Marty Rosenberg, an award-winning energy journalist. The series is sponsored by the Department of Energy's Office of Electricity, Advanced Grid Research Division. Now, here's Marty Rosenberg with Grid
1: Talk. Hi, we're here today with Alice Jackson, who's president of Excel Energy Colorado. Hi, Alice. How are you today?
0: I'm well. How are you, Marty?
1: Very good. Um, very pleased to have you with us because there are a lot of things to talk about, about innovation coming to Colorado. And I'd like to start off with your transportation plan. As I understand it, the goal is to have 940,000 EVs on the road by 2030. Do I have that right?
0: That's correct, yes. Um, I believe it was his second executive order after Governor Polis took office was to set the target of having 940,000 electric vehicles on the road in the state of Colorado by 2030.
1: Well, you're the largest utility uh, in the state. I assume you would own the, the lion's share of that uh, development. Is that fair?
0: Yes, sir, we do. And we were really excited as, um, you know, Excel Energy as a, a company across all eight of the states that we have the pleasure of serving, we announced a goal of hitting 1.5 million electric vehicles on the road across all eight of those uh, states uh, inside of our jurisdictions by the same time frame, 2030.
1: So, um, so that our listeners can understand the context of this, California has been the line in EV development's And a quick check this morning that I did uh, showed that uh, two years ago, or in 2018, they sold 153,000 EVs in California. Um, Number two is a distant number two is New York State at 15,700. So this is a a sizable undertaking. And uh, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about what the challenge will be. Um, up front, getting those EVs on the road, and how you're going to have to develop the uh, transmission network and the grid to support it.
0: No, absolutely. And you have lots of good questions in there. So I'll break it down a little bit and pause, and you can jump in, and we can just go back and forth a little bit on it. But you are absolutely correct. It is a big target and a goal, but it's one that we're really excited about taking on, um, not only for our customers, but for our communities and the citizens of the state of Colorado uh, to move this forward. Um, and I think you know there's a lot of planning that's going into it, including things like our transportation electrification plan that we put forth before our regulator here in the state of Colorado um, last year. And that was approved uh, early this year. And we're in the process of implementing, which the first things that it focuses on is number one, we are the ones who are buying the cars. Um, and so when it comes to purchasing and making your decision on electric vehicles, you really have to look at what is the lifestyle? How are you going to be comfortable with making sure that in the way that you live your life, whether it's you know commuting to the office, working from home, taking the kids to school, going camping in the mountains, um, you're comfortable with how you're going to eat your fuel for that vehicle.
1: Alice, when you say we're the ones, you're talking about the customers, not the utility that'll be buying these.
0: It's a combination, right? So the, our customers are the ones who buy the vehicle. Um, we're the ones who are helping them, helping lower the barriers to that purchase choice. Um, and whether that's installing charging stations or helping customers understand, you know, what that lifestyle looks like, that's where we're getting engaged.
1: So let's get in the weeds a little bit um, in terms of helping a customer, as my understanding is for this one hundred and ten million dollar plan. There'll be $5,500 rebates for new EVs and $3,000 for used EVs for qualifying customers. What does that mean, and uh, how is this going to work?
0: Sure. So in the state of Colorado right now, the um, Colorado offers a tax credit. Um, customers can choose to have that tax credit issued at point of sale versus having it uh, provided in their uh, tax refund, and we're the point-of-sale provider. Um, and so we've been working with figuring out how do you provide that to customers so that they have that benefit up front uh, versus having to wait for the tax rebate that comes back around. So that helps lower the barrier for customers to access the vehicle, particularly our um, low-income customers in our state. Um, when they're purchasing those vehicles, it helps them right up front get that uh, tax rebate so that they can have a lower price that they're paying as they drive that car off the lot.
1: So the customer will be buying it with a supplement provided by Excel that would be somehow rolled or you'd be reimbursed through the tax credit? How does that work?
0: No, so it doesn't necessarily get reimbursed through the tax credit. It's provided via the utility versus coming through the tax credit. And then that is something that is uh, recovered over, I believe it's a 10-year period um, in the transportation electrification plan um, rate that's on uh customer's bill.
1: So – for the new vehicle, will any customer, regardless of an income test, qualify for that, or is it is there an income threshold?
0: I believe there is an income threshold, but Marty, that would be something I have to go back and look at. I don't remember off the top of my head from the decision that the commission made on that one.
1: Okay. And uh, in, term, in terms of comfort uh, with this switch, there are going to be... Um, what is it, 20,000 EV charging stations built? Tell us a little bit about that.
0: Sure. So one of the pieces of the puzzle for the Transportation Electrification Plan was looking at how do we provide opportunities in a wide variety of areas for customers to charge, whether that's the high-speed charging all the way down to um, you know helping provide rebates for customers to do the in-home charging installations that they need. Really a strong focus of this, though, also is in the middle uh, piece, which is working with the multifamily home home locations, think condos, think apartments, um, those areas where you have multiple vehicles parked um, and not necessarily everybody has their own electric service um, to their apartment that they would connect their car in or even a garage. So really figuring out how do we make sure that every different aspect of living style as well as workplace, has an opportunity to have access to charging. That's where the focus is on um, putting those charging stations in, as well as working with our communities and our large customers that have fleets uh, in order to do fleet charging and advisory services on how they can convert their fleets over to electric vehicles.
1: What will the challenge to your grid and your generation and transmission distribution be? And what steps are you putting in place to accommodate upwards of a million new EVs on the road?
0: No, it's a great question. And surprisingly enough, it's not as much as people would expect. Um, Now, that comes with making sure that we're working and partnering with our customers and our communities to charge these electric vehicles at the right times of day. So we don't see a significant, if any, increase in our peak load on the system. Um, So that means that you generally don't have to build incremental generation resources. Um, It also helps with lowering the amount of transmission uh, resources you would need to add to the system as well, because you'd be utilizing those facilities in the off-peak hours when they wouldn't traditionally have been utilized. So making sure that we continue our energy efficiency programs, we're sending the right signals to customers on time of day to charge, um, you know, is really important. And I'm excited because a couple of years ago, um, we had approved at the Public Utilities Commission here a critical peak pricing tariff for commercial charging, which what that does is it really helps us send the right price signals um, to those commercial-sized chargers at the right times of day to avoid certain periods of time that would cause us to have to build uh, incremental generation on the system. So. This really is a partnership on figuring out how um, do you incentivize that charging to happen at the right time day, so you don't have to add more infrastructure to the system um, that would increase the cost to customers.
1: So one of the visions, Alice, that has been floating around for quite some time is given the right uh, signaling and uh, um, sensitivity uh, of what's going on on the grid. These are potentially 1 million rolling batteries and storage units for you. Is there any vision yet on how you might be able to integrate them into your energy storage plans?
0: It's a really exciting topic um, to think about, you know, battery to grid and, um, you know, back and forth and how that can help with whether it's ancillary services, if you really want to get down into the weeds um, or it's simply as battery backup for um, homes, businesses, and other activities. So, What we have is in this transportation electrification plan that we just put in, there is an innovation piece to it so that we can continue to push the envelope a little bit and experiment on things just like this. And whether it's working with our schools who are looking at electrifying their busing, um, which is only used periodically throughout the day and periodically throughout the year as well, um, is there something there or is there other opportunity uh, with, um, you know, personally owned vehicles and, you know, common facility charging stations. So more to come on this one. The technology is not quite there where you can sit there and say it's ready to be installed everywhere and it's something you could do tomorrow, but there's definitely a lot of interest in figuring out what the possibilities are and what's the best way to go about tapping uh, this particular opportunity.
1: Before we uh, leave the EV topic, uh, paint that out a little more fully for us So how the utility is going to be involved in promoting these vehicles. Are you going to try to encourage sales of them? Or are you going to be kind of in the background? Uh, what, how aggressive will Excel be and uh, what role do you see the utility playing?
0: Yeah, I really do see the role of a utility and Excel Energy in this of being an enabler, um, helping our customers understand what the options are, Helping the dealerships who sell the cars um, and the other vehicles to understand what, how our customers can connect, be a resource for them uh, to the extent that they need it. And then also to provide avenues of advisory services to our communities and um, larger businesses that are looking to transition their fleets. So really, we're a resource in this. We're a partner in figuring out what does the transition look like? Does it work um, for the individuals that are looking at it now? And helping lower that barrier to entry some with uh, answering questions and, quite frankly, making it easy for our customers if it's something they want to do.
1: So as if this was not challenge enough, uh, getting all these EV plans underway, there's also the Colorado uh, Clean Energy Plan, which has you backing off and retiring to Coal units and installing 1,800 megawatts of wind and solar. Talk a, a little bit about that. Explain the vision and the challenge there.
0: No, absolutely. So when we talk about um, you know beneficial electrification, which is what um, electrifying the transportation sector falls under, and reducing the carbon um, in our systems around us, whether it's from you know the, the electrical, the electric um, sector, or from the automobile sector you have to look at what's the content of your electricity. Um, Where does it come from? How is it generated? What are the emissions produced from it? Um, And so the focus of our uh, Colorado Clean Energy Plan is the continued leadership of the energy transition. Back in 2018, at the end of the year, Excel Energy was the first utility in the nation to come out and announce um, a zero carbon system goal by 2050. Uh, And so, but we also put in there a benchmark of hitting that 80% carbon reduction by 2030 from our 2005 levels. This plan is what shows the pathway on achieving at least that 80% carbon reduction. So we were really excited to bring forward to the commission after a lot of modeling and going through, you know, numerous details, uh, looking at how electric vehicles were going to be added to our system between now and 2030, and then being able to present a plan um, that from the modeling and from what we expect, we will achieve an 85% carbon reduction by 2030 from our 2005 levels. And roughly 80% of the energy that our customers consume would come from renewables. So that's really big um, movement and transitions that are significant over these last nine years um, of this decade. That show quite about quite a bit of significant leadership on how you can transition a system like this reliably and affordably for your customers.
1: How big of an ad- addition is eighteen hundred megawatts to your existing wind and solar solar portfolio? So
0: actually, it's much more than eighteen hundred megawatts. We're looking at about thirty um, nine hundred megawatts of new um, larger scale renewables. So it's twenty three hundred megawatts of wind is what we're expecting incremental plus about 1,600 megawatts of large-scale solar. Um, And just to give you an order of magnitude, our system currently peaks somewhere around 7,000 megawatts, and we have over 4,000 megawatts of wind on our system currently, and um, right around a gigawatt of solar. So this is significantly increasing the amount of uh, renewables we have on our system, less so on the wind side because we already have uh, high numbers of wind. Um, But we also have some wind that's retiring off the system as well in the same time frame because we've been acquiring the wind resources on our system for quite some time.
1: And to to complete the picture, tell us what your goal is on installation of new battery storage for this intermittent renewable.
0: Yep. So in the preferred plan that we presented to the commission, we've proposed 400 megawatts of battery storage is what we are looking at. We currently have um, 275 megawatts of battery storage from our Colorado energy plan that was presented and approved by the commission back in 2018. Um, and then we have a number of customers that just have individual battery storage on a system uh, that they they utilize for their personal purposes.
1: What What about um, the, the general goal of electrifying society? EV transportation is clearly a key p- component. Are there other elements in what you're doing in Colorado?
0: No, oh, absolutely. Um, so building electrification is something that a number of people have been looking at. In January, um, the administration here in the state of Colorado brought forward uh, the Colorado Greenhouse Gas Roadmap. And in that roadmap, uh, they are estimating a 20% reduction in carbon emissions from buildings. And uh, that's part of reaching the state's goals under the statute that's in place in Colorado to achieve a 50% industry-wide carbon reduction by 2030. So we are also looking at and figuring out what pieces of the puzzle there um, electrification makes sense for. What do um, we have to do in order to participate and to support those goals and those shifts? That's largely looking at HVAC and, um, you know, heating systems uh, in homes uh, and in businesses in order to transition them from either a gas fired system to electric only heat pumps are the order of the day, right. In the conversation. Uh, but I think, Uh, That's another conversation you have to dig into with elevation and temperature and where are they going to work for certain customers. Not all climates in Colorado uh, and customers will choose a heat pump, depending upon where they're located, but it is a technology that helps um, achieve some of those carbon reduction goals as we continue to um, green up the uh, electric sector. That's what's going to help uh, the state reach its ultimate goals in 2030.
1: What's your vision of the role of microgrids? I know that you had one for several years under development around the Denver airport. What's the status of that, and how do you see it rolling out across your service territory?
0: You know, I think microgrids are a very um, interesting topic, and there are aspects that are pros and aspects that are cons associated with microgrids when you consider how do they benefit the system but then also the conundrum of how do you uh, price out for the customers that are on that microgrid, what pieces of the puzzle do they pay for or not. So we have these regulatory, um, I wouldn't call them barriers or hurdles, they're just questions, right, that we have to still answer on how do you move these forward. But I do think that microgrids have a place uh, in how we move a you know, sustainable, resilient, reliable system forward through time. Um, I think interestingly enough, when you look at our distribution systems, every feeder is, you know, a mini microgrid in and of, of itself, just because of the way that it operates and who it serves there and figuring out how would you make that more resilient? What are the opportunities there? Um, so a lot of questions, I would say, Marty, still outstanding on how to do microgrid implementation. But I think focusing on resiliency is going to be key first. Um, you mentioned the Denver International Airport. Um and looking at the microgrid there. That one is a continuing and ongoing analysis and looking at what's the best way of supporting um, that infrastructure. But I think the same question goes for the rest of our communities. We recently did a resiliency initiative here and partnered with a number of our communities to add batteries um, on-site solar uh, so that they would be more resilient in the event that they had extended outages or you know catastrophic issues on the system. Um, so that they would be able to support their communities and their customers in that area. Um, And so we're currently implementing those resiliency systems here in Colorado. It's been an exciting, and it's an educational undertaking, just as it was when we worked with Panasonic on the battery storage uh, and microgrid system that they have there a number of years ago now.
1: Alice, uh, a few years back, 2016, 2017, you were studying at the Harvard Business School's Program for Leadership Development. And if you had an assignment to to write a paper for the Harvard uh, Business Publication on the changes of the utility business model comparing 1980, 2000, and 2020, what would be some of the themes you'd try to draw out?
0: Oh my goodness, that's an excellent question. You know, I think there's a deep seated philosophy that we could go back to Marty about centralized versus decentralized when it comes to these types of energy transitions. I think, you know, one of the reasons when you go back and you look at things like the greenhouse gas roadmap of the state of Colorado, a very significant portion of the reduction in carbon that's going to be achievable between now and 2030 falls on the electric industry's um, shoulders. Because of the fact that we are a centralized entity, you can go there and figure out what are the steps that need to be taken, what's the time frame in which we have to do it, um, and is it cost reasonable and affordable for customers, and move it forward very quickly. Versus, you know, like the decentralized model, you'd have a conversation. About, well, how many dozens or hundreds of um, entities would you have to go work with in order to change or to drive, you know, a, a common core change like this uh, through the system. So, I think. I would love to spend some, you know, philosophical time really digging into what that looks like. How can you um, create better opportunities and benefits, quite frankly, uh, for customers and communities um, in a decentralized versus a centralized model? And this, of course, would apply beyond the utility sector as well. But, um, you know, I think it would be an interesting time to sit down and really look at that and go, okay, Maybe our forefathers knew a lot more than we did today whenever they first put together um, this type of electric model uh, versus what we see, say, in the European countries in the way that they've had um, more of a government-centric uh, model on how they've been doing things. So it's just interesting uh, ways of looking at things around the world on how people are achieving these transitions.
1: So just to steer you in one, into one particular aspect of this, back in 1980. A key element of the utility business model would have been build lots of costly infrastructure because you're adept at capital formation, get a return on it, maximize the return to sh- shareholders. Is that still going to work in 2030, or you think there's going to be a new vision for that?
0: I think it's going to be an and versus an or, Marty. Um, I believe that what we're going to see is that there's very much still a need for what people fondly refer to as the big grid. The big generation but then there's also going to be much more of the technological innovation you know at the individual as well i think customers if not their buildings right uh, whether their homes or businesses are going to be much more intelligent when it comes to using electricity um, and so it's going to be an and i think utilities are going to be providing more uh, than what we do today uh, will be more of that um, you know close-knit energy service provider in some areas where people you know, need things as well as we'll have competition. So I think it's an and, not an or, as far as how it's going to transition through time.
1: For a closing topic, I would just like to get back to this 940,000 EVs in Colorado by 2030. I can't recall, but I'm going to ask you to correct me if I'm wrong, any state that set a numerical target like that. Is there any state doing that or is Colorado on the forefront?
0: I do not know of any other state that has a target like that, Marty, Um, but I also haven't researched all the states that are out there. So um, we could very well be unique uh, in having that number uh, pinned down.
1: So you've been on this job for several years. Um, I kind of looked at your LinkedIn profile. You're you're in your young 40s. and uh, Tell me what it's like taking on a job like this at this time.
0: Well, personally, I find it incredibly exciting. Um, You know, it's not just about the the job. It's about what we can do for um, our customers and our communities. I'll go back to, you know, I have four sons myself, uh, and I know, you know, where their interest lies is, you know, a healthy long-term future uh, in this country. And so figuring out how do we provide uh, back good um, services and a healthy environment for them to continue to grow and thrive is central to what it is that I have the pleasure of doing in this role. Um, My technological background lends itself to the curiosity about the advancing technology and the innovation that is going to have to happen for this next decade. And I find it a fascinating time to be in this industry. Um, Marty, I don't know about you, but I didn't go into high school and college going, utilities, that's where I'm going. But I do have to say that after being in the utility sector now for um, just shy of a decade, I have an anniversary coming up here in less than a month. That'll put it right at a decade. Um, but I am excited to be here. I'm glad to be here. And I truly hope that I get to retire from the utility industry.
1: So one last easy question. Um, you served some time at Enron. What was that like? And what lessons did you draw from that?
0: Um Always work hard um, would be my, you know, conclusion of what I drew away from that one. I I was there for a very brief time. It was the very first job I had out of college and I learned a lot. Um, I learned not to keep all your eggs in one basket when it comes to investing. Um, I learned that the people that sit around you that you see day in and day out are wonderful, you know, great, hardworking people. And that can be, you know, damaging and hard when others at the top aren't of the same ilk or have the same values. And so make sure that you believe in your leadership. Um, I learned so much from that job. Um, And, you know, quite frankly by being laid off by voicemail and learning how to pick yourself back up when 3000 of your uh, peers in the industry um, were laid off at the same time and then finding to have that job, how to find that next job and to stand back up and keep moving forward uh, and so there's a lot of memories, and I would say I I wouldn't trade that time because there were so many lessons learned uh, in the time frame that I had there, and really really good hardworking people that I had the opportunity to work alongside.
1: Thank you, excellent. Next, Alice, I enjoyed talking with you.
0: Likewise, thank you, Marty.
1: And thanks for listening to Grid Talk. We've been talking with Alice Jackson, who's the president of Exil Energy Colorado. She's shared her insights about changes that are coming rapidly to that state and to the industry. Please send us feedback or questions at gridtalk at Gov, And we encourage you to give the podcast a rating or review on your favorite platform. For more information, please visit smartgrid.gov.
0: Thanks for listening to Grid Talk, presented by the U.S. Department of Energy, Office of Electricity, Advanced Grid Research Division. Subscribe through your favorite podcast provider or visit smartgrid.gov for more information.